Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here this morning. I just want to say, uh, um, firstly, Craig and Leona, what a great job. Um, I kind of feel like they could be on radio together, you know, like forget Joey and Soda, we could have Schultzy and Stewie. Uh, that would be... I think we've got a thing going here, so that was, that was really good. Um, but uh, it's an absolute privilege to come and share this morning. I love when we come together. It's an absolute joy. And um, it's kind of, I, I stand up here and I look out and I feel a degree of responsibility, um, but also just the great sense of privilege. And I wanted to get that photo this morning because to me that's a family photo. You know, like you get together at Christmas and, and it's like, hey, let's get everyone together and let's take a family photo. To me, this is family. And the, the great privilege for me is not to just lead people, but to lead people that I know. And I come here even to come to Verdun, where I'm not here that often. What still excites me is that I look around and in spite of it growing a lot, I, I still know people. I still know names and I want to know names. You know, our church has got... On the books, we've got regular attenders, more than 950 now, which is a lot of people. But I want to know everyone's name. And I want to know people's stories. Because everyone's got a story. And everyone's got a name. And if you're part of this church, you're valued. And uh, we're thankful to have you as part of the church. Um, so I've got a very tight uh, little time frame to preach this morning. I've got 25 minutes, and um, Dave's going to give me the signal of five minutes to go at 20-minute mark. And at the 23-minute mark, band, you can come up, okay? Uh, so I'm going to keep this really brief. Um, this morning is the merger of two sermons. Uh, here in the morning at Verdun, you've been talking about the pearl. And uh, this, uh, this passage, I'm going to read it now from Matthew 13. These two little stories, particularly the second one, I'm going to read both. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value... He went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. And it's like, what is it, what is it about this gospel? What is it about Jesus? What is it about this kingdom of God that would mean that it is so valuable, so precious, that if you were to find it, to find it, you would, you would go and sell everything and buy a field so that you could grab that treasure. And we know that... Salvation is a gift, but, but what is this value and this worth of Jesus? What a fantastic question to be exploring, and I want to address that. But back at Allgate, we've been doing a series called One from the Heart, right? And I've been giving all the elders a chance to preach a sermon from their heart. And I've got to say, I've been, preach, I've been loving just sitting back and receiving. I, I'm often doing a lot of preaching. I'm enjoying uh, just listening to what's on the heart of our elders. So as part of that... I with this message, I kind of thought, um, well, what's on my heart? Like, what's not just kind of a message, but what's actually on my heart? And I started thinking about the sermons that I've preached through the years and, and the messages that I've preached and kind of what's been my message? This is a Craig Schultz question. What's your message? What's, what's your message? So I went right back to the very first sermon that I preached. And I want to preach from the same passage that I preached. 
uh, something almost 17 years ago. Uh, in fact, on the sermon I found down the bottom, it had the date. It said, preached on the 17th of June, to, written on the 17th of June, 2003. And I preached from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there and we're going to read that passage and then I'll get into the message. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the church of the angel in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, in 2003, a new uh, pizza franchise had entered the, Australia, the South Australian market, Domino's. And Domino's were all over the TV advertising. And they, uh, they had a slogan, uh, which was, have you got the hots for what's in the box with the dots? <laughs> so I wanted, to, I wanted to be, you know, first sermon, I wanted to be relevant. I, I, I was going for cutting edge. I was, I was going for like memorable. So my sermon, my first ever sermon was titled, Have You Got the Hots for God? <laughs> what a ripper. And, uh, and, then it, and then it had this, all this question, have you got the hots for God? And then the, the cut through moment was like, well, I've got to tell you, God's got the hots for you and, uh, you know, the, the love of God. And anyway, um, that was my first message. And uh, I've got to tell you, as I look back on that message, it was a little cringy, let's be honest. Uh, it, it lacked a few important things, like uh, explanation of the biblical passage, um, <laughs> substance, uh, and, and I used to get this thing, the, uh, the nervous, shaky leg. Uh, I don't know if everyone gets that. So on the, 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 the top half of me looked confident, but the bottom half not so confident. That was going on, I remember. Um, but what that message had was passion, and it had heart, and it had a message that still burns within me this morning. And the message is that as a pastor, I would lead people to be on fire for Jesus. 
People who are not half-hearted, people who are not lukewarm, people who are not half-asleep, people who are not half-committed, people who are not half-involved, but people who are alive and awake and filled and on fire and desiring to be changed and be transformed and to serve Jesus and to love him with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul and all their strength. Because Jesus is worth it. He is a treasure in who's like he's like a treasure in a field that if you come across him and, and if it required it, you would say, I'm gonna sell everything, I'm gonna give everything to acquire that. And we live in a world who no one basically is now gonna say to you, what you're doing is worthwhile being here this morning. They're not gonna say that this word of God is the word of God, they're not going to say it is not valuable. They're not going to say you should be bringing your kids up to know this because it is so important. The world will say this is worthless. The world will say what you're doing is a waste of time and so I'm here to to push back afresh against that and remind us that Jesus is worth it. You know, um, uh, so Revelation uh, chapter 3 verse Verse 15 and 16, we have that, that core verse in this passage. Um, he says, you know, I wish you were either hot or, or cold, but because you're uh, neither one or the other, I'm going to spit you out. The, the correct translation is, is vomit. So as we look at that passage, um, you know, hot drinks, cold drinks are both good, but lukewarm drinks, not so good. That's the core analogy here. Uh, you have a cup of tea that's gone from being hot to lukewarm. That's not good. Right. You have a glass of milk that's been sitting in the sun and has gone to 30 degrees. That's not good. Um, hot and cold is, is just yuck, but, but um, no, hot and cold is good. <laughs> just testing you there. But lukewarm is, uh, is just not good. And so my desire, yeah, to help people encounter Jesus to know Jesus, to return to Jesus, to grow in Jesus, to be changed by him, to be anything but lukewarm. We come back to Dave's request. Dave said to me, share with me why I think Jesus is the pearl. Why do I think Jesus is worth it? And so I looked at the messages that have been preached, and there's been some great words in this little couple of weeks series. Dave preached about rescue, fabulous message about rescue, how Jesus has rescued us. Jesus is worth it because he has rescued us. That's all right. I'll just angle it this way. Thank you. I just rescued the computer. It's timely. And, um, and Jesus also has restored us. He's restored relationship. He restores us to, 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 to our brokenness. He's able to restore us and he's able to give us rest. This wonderful peace of God that we can enter into. It's to know peace in our life. And so God has done so many things, and you could preach this series on and on and on. You could speak a, a whole message about forgiveness. You could speak, speak a whole message about how Jesus gives us purpose. You could speak a whole message about uh, that we've been given His Spirit, this infilling of the Spirit. You could speak a message about how God is doing a sanctifying work, which is changing us from the inside out to make us more like Him. You could speak about hope. There could be a whole message on hope. Jesus is the pearl because of the hope he gives us, assurance. And you could speak about his character. There could be a whole message. Jesus is worth it because of his incredible greatness, yet also his humility, his power. 
You could speak a message about power. You could also speak a message about his wonderful compassion. Man, you could do a series on the pearl that went on and on and on and every message would be relevant. But I've got to tell you that when I thought about it, my immediate reaction, and Dave sort of asked me this question, and I, I, I preached this to Dave in the office straight away. It was good. <laughs> so if I can preach as well. I said, Dave, it is, there's none of those reasons are the reason I worship Jesus first and foremost. I do not worship Jesus first and foremost because of what he's done. The reason that I worship Jesus first and foremost is because before Jesus has done anything, for putting all that aside, there is something that makes Jesus the pearl that is worth it. And it is simply that Jesus is the king. And Jesus, do you get what I'm saying? Jesus is the king. Before he created anything, he is and he was. And, and when he created, before he'd done anything for, for, for mankind, he was worthy of bowing down and giving honor and praise to just because he is God. And so like we could live our lives, sometimes we live our lives that we, we give worship based on how, Jesus, how much Jesus is giving for us and doing for us in the moment of our daily life. And so there's people who like, they, they check out when Jesus isn't giving them the answers to the prayers that they want. It's like their faith is dependent on Jesus coming through for them time and time again in the ways that they want. But you know what? Jesus does come through for us in the ways that we need over and over again. But even if he doesn't, he's worthy of our praise because he is the king. And you bow down to a king because they're a king and they're worthy of honor and praise and respect. Let me share a story with you. Um, when I was uh, about 15 years old and I was at school, Prince Philip came to my school. Oh, yeah. You're going, wow. That's pretty cool. Prince Philip, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, not really. But, uh, but he came to our school. And um, the effort and preparation and planning that went into his half an hour visit was unbelievable. We planned everything, right? A few special guys, the captain of school and the captain of the junior school and the headmaster, they would greet him when he arrived and someone was given the job of opening the door. Someone else was then given the job of shaking his hand, but not just anyone, like the captain of school. I, I didn't get that job. I wasn't the captain of school. Um, they got to shake his hand and then he'd walk around the corner and then three guys would, would uh, you know, three students would... Um, go down the side of a, you know, what is it? Abseil down the side of the building. And it was all this stuff. And there were security guards and police. And, and we all lined the entry into the school. And our job, like, was to wave flags and, and, and wave at him. And, and we did this rehearsal to get it just right. And they, actually, for the rehearsal, they got one of the groundsmen, right? The guys that took out the bins. <laughs> and they put him on the back of a ute. And then he came in wearing this military uniform and doing this kind of wave, right? And the whole school, we're all waving. And, and I thought, wow. And I started to get a bit excited. I thought, this is going to be pretty cool because he came in really slowly and, and he's waving and we're all having a, a cheer and a laugh and giving him a wave. But I thought, wow, Prince Philip's going to come in and, and we're going to get to see him. And, and I thought, you know, it's not, you know, it's maybe not a high-ranking royal, like not, not in the top few, but he's still important. And anyway, so then the, the day came 
and we're waiting and we're waiting and the time came and he's not there and we're waiting and it gets about, he's, he's running about 20 minutes late and then like coming around the bend is this convoy of about three cars at about 40 k's per hour and they just go, whoop. <laughs> so we're like, okay, that was Prince Philip. That was just such a letdown. But anyway, um, the whole point was that we afforded to him honour, respect, and we just went out of our way. We did everything that we could to make that moment a memorable moment for him. To be honest, he probably couldn't remember it at all. We did that for the, the husband of a symbolic monarch who doesn't actually have real power. Some of us don't give the same honour to Jesus, who has real power, who is worthy of us giving our lives to him. Let me get back to Revelation chapter 3. John, the Apostle John writes this, uh, seven letters to seven churches, or at least he records it because it's a revelation from Jesus. And he's writing to a church, it's the church in uh, Laodicea. And I guess what historians and archaeologists have discovered and know about the city of Laodicea is that basically it was one of the richest cities in the world at that time. It was a city that had become wealthy on the back of, uh, of trade, uh, on the back of a textiles industry, and on the back of a uh, kind of health care product industry. It produced all this stuff, and its people had become wealthy. And the problem with what had happened to these people is that they had become, uh, I guess this is a tendency with, with, with wealth a- across a country and across a city, is that it had led them to become self-sufficient. It had led them to become complacent. It had led them to think, we don't need anything. And in fact, we don't really need God anymore. And so it says in verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. I don't need a thing. I've got it all. He says, but you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And there is a thing that that happens in, we we just see this, basically we see this in our country. Because we're a comfortable country, aren't we? We're a comfortable country. And and there's people that maybe live on the fringe that that are not comfortable, but the vast majority of us here today, I'm not going to say everyone, the vast majority of of us here today, myself included, we're pretty comfortable. Okay, we're not living on the edge. You can go to other countries and you can see what it's like to live on the edge. We're not in that place. But comfort does something. Comfort leads us to love uh, and desire more comfort. We get comfortable and then we want more comfort. We get possessions and then we want more possessions. We get entertainment and we want more entertainment. And it can lead us into this place where we think, I don't need a thing. And somehow, spiritual wealth... No, material wealth and spiritual apathy so often go hand in glove. And that's something we've got to guard ourselves against. We get down to verse 20 in this passage. 
And we read this verse, it says, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to preach before that. Uh, just to explain, the three things this city were famous for were, were economic wealth, were uh, textiles industry, and were particularly this healthcare product, they would produce a salve that was good for helping people with poor sight. That was their three things they were proud about. So what Jesus says to them is, he says, you think that you are wealthy, but you do not realize you are poor, blind, and naked. You see that the three things they were most famous for are the three things. He says, your perception of yourself, which is about material things, is actually not matched by the reality of your spiritual state. Spiritually, you've got yourselves in a bad place because you put me out in the cold. And then you get to this verse, verse 20, which is a verse we probably know pretty well, many of us. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, if you've heard that verse before, that verse, I would suggest, is most commonly used when we actually speak to people who don't yet know Jesus. It's used when we're often speaking to people who haven't yet made a decision to accept Jesus into their lives. And we say, Jesus says, you know, he's at the door knocking and he wants to come into your life. And if you just open the door, he's not going to force it open. But if you will open the door, he will come in and he'll come into your life, into relationship. Now, that's 100% true for someone who doesn't know Jesus. But the point I want to make this morning from this passage is that this passage is not being written, this verse is not written to non-Christians. This verse is written to who? A church. Jesus is saying to the church, I'm outside. And you've put me outside in the cold, and you're inside and you're still doing stuff. You're still... You're still going through the motions of being a church. You're still worshipping. You're still doing this kind of gear. But Jesus himself is outside. What a tragedy. May we never, ever, ever be a church when we're doing services and events and we've got, it looks like it's good, but Jesus is outside the door. And he's having to ask and, and let us know, hey, I'm at the door, I'm knocking. Please let me back in. Jesus is the king. What place does he deserve in this church? He deserves the throne. He deserves the throne. He deserves our all. All right, I've got the five signal. Let me, let me bring this to a close. What's on my heart? That we would be a church that reflects the truth, that Jesus is worthy of it all. All our praise, all our honour, all our lives, that we would serve and give and go out and speak and pray and love, not because we feel coerced into doing something by a preacher or out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of joy. My, uh, my son um, uh, loves his sport a lot, okay? Now, when, when you go to sport, there's the time sport starts, and then there's like half an hour before when you're, when you're meant to get there, like you're meant to get there really early. He always wants to get there about half an hour before the half an hour that you're meant to get there. Why does, it, why does he want to do that? Is it because he's been told he has to? No. Is it because he has an obligation? No. It is because of his love of the game. He loves doing it. In the same way, wouldn't it be wonderful 
If we just said, Jesus, I recognize you are the king and I love you so much that I don't want to just kind of give a half-hearted effort, but I want to actually give you all that I have. I want to give you my Sunday. Because as a church, let's be honest, we are often not giving Jesus our Sunday. And I want to give you my Sunday, Jesus. And then I want to give you my Monday. Because Monday we've got to get up and we've got to go through the normal routine. I've got to get up, I've got to get dressed, I've got to go to work, I've got to do all this stuff, I've got to get the kids to school, you've got kids. But say, no, Jesus, I want to give you Monday as well. Then in the midst of all that busyness, I give that day to you. And I want to give Monday and I want to give Tuesday and I want to give Wednesday. And my gifts, I want to give to you. And my time, I want to give to you. My, my finances, I want to give to you because you are the king and because you are worth it. May we be a church, very simply, that loves the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and all our mind. Jesus is worth it because Jesus is king. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I long to see it come to fruition. And thank you for the many, many places where this is true. But may every single person in this church reflect in their lives that actually you are the Lord, that you, God, are the King, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever Amen. And it says in Scripture that there will come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But may we be the ones who in this day bow the knee and declare with our mouths the Lordship of Jesus in every single part of our lives. And may it be to your glory and to your honor and to your praise. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.